Welcome to this special episode of Happyish Ever After. This is going to be the very first of our Book of the Month series. I used to do a book club on an audio app called Clubhouse, and it was amazing. And I loved all the conversations that happened, but I just don't have the time to dedicate to that anymore. So I decided, okay, I'm going to bring that to the Happyish Pod Squad. And so today, I am so excited that we are going to be talking about Brene Brown's new book, Atlas of the Heart. And I'm going to be talking about this book and the experience of the book with my friend Brandy Wilson Edwards, who is a speaker, a lawyer, just a bright light. I mean, find her over on Instagram. I'll put her handle into the show notes. But first, I'm going to let Brandy introduce herself. Well, thank you so much. I am excited to have this conversation and I am many things. So while I am an attorney and motivational speaker, I also teach yoga and mindfulness in some of my workshops and events. And I'm a well-being advocate. And for everyone listening, give yourself permission to be multi-passionate. And you're so much more than your profession and what you choose to do for income. (laughs) And I love that. And again, also, you can be multi-passionate and have multi-streams of income or not everything has to become a source of income. But I just, when I thought of this book, I immediately thought of you. And I was so thrilled when you agreed to be the first person to come on and talk about a book. So we're sort of exploring a new adventure here in the podcast to talk about this. I ordered the hard copy because I just love having books and I've made a million notes. Did you get the hard copy or did you go audiobook? I actually have the audiobook and I prefer paperback, but because I love reading so many different books just for time, I I have to listen to some on audio and I I think it'll be a great conversation since you have the paperback and when I read paperback books, I mark them up, I tab a lot of the pages. And so it was an interesting experience listening to this particular book on audio because this is a must-have in a paperback. So I will be ordering it and reading the paperback because there were just so many great aha moments where I thought, wow, I would love to highlight this to come back and read later. You can see, but not other people. I have a system of like things that are references where I'll, I'll fold the bottom corner. But then when I have really important things that I'm like, I myself need to go back to, I'll fold the top. And you'll see it's just like folded corner after folded corner, underlines. I tried to do different colors, but then I couldn't even pick what was the more important anymore. Yes. So when you think of this book, I can't remember what part of the bookstore it was in. I think it was like new releases still. But how would you categorize this book if someone said, oh, but what kind of book is it? That's a great question. I would categorize it as personal development, self-growth, because it's about labeling your emotions and understanding your emotions. And doing that is part of, I think, self-discovery. So I would put it in in, in the personal growth, self-help category, but I'm sure it could fit into a lot of others as well. And I think that's the title, Atlas of the Heart. It feels like that's where bookstores are going to want to put it. But I so want them to also put it in the business section and leadership. Yes. 
how you show up as a leader to have this type of resource or how to run a business. I mean, nobody can do it all. And to be able to build teams, you have to have language. I, I agree. Yeah. It's interesting because the structure of the book is so amazing because it goes through and describes all of these different emotions and what they mean, which it's so hard to convey to somebody. But she says it really clearly that she wanted to write the book on meaningful connections and how to create meaningful connections. So, but she also talks about how the most meaningful connection is the connection that you have with yourself. So you can take that into your workplace, you can take that into your friendships, you can take that into your own, you know, journey of growth into relationships. But then she says, you know, but I needed this glossary of terms because when you ask the average person, how are you feeling? They say, sad, glad, or mad. Mm -hmm. And do you remember how many different, I think it's like, it's over 80? 87, 87. I believe, 87. And going through the journey of learning, you think, oh, who wants to read a, a book that just basically tells you about, describes 87 different emotions. Mm -hmm. But she's like, I can't actually help you make meaningful connections if you don't have language for the emotions. I loved reading her book. And I think that it would be great for leaders to get their hands on this and understand not only how they are feeling, but how their colleagues are feeling and their teams are feeling. And I think it could be instrumental in shifting some of the culture in some workplaces if people could understand not only their emotions better, but the emotions of their employees and their colleagues much better. I 100% agree. What's so interesting is that time and time again, data shows us that processes don't change organizations. Culture will trumpet every single time. So how do you actually get to the root of changing culture? And that happens one conversation at a time. Mm -hmm. So I completely agree. I want to hear a little bit about your experience. If someone's like, oh, but I have a subscription to an audiobook company, maybe it's Audible or something like that. And they're like, oh, I, I, so it's so easy for me to go for a walk and listen to the to the book. What was your experience listening to the book? Because I imagine it would be so different from mine because there's a lot of graphics and imagery in the book. And that was interesting too, listening to it on audio because Brene Brown mentioned that there was a companion PDF for the people who did get it on Audible. And I liked how she was very descriptive when she was explaining some of the images that were in her book. I found that really helpful. And so I did go look at the PDF and it would be interesting to go back and listen to the audiobook while also seeing the image at the same time. There was an image that I recall seeing. I don't know if you remember what your thoughts were about it because I don't remember the context, but it was, I believe, a painting of a lot of different women. Do you remember seeing that particular graphic in, in her book? I saw like one with maybe 50 women. The sculpture. Or people. Or maybe it was sculptures. Yes. I couldn't remember what the context of it was, but I remember looking at that image and it was just very unique and I couldn't remember what she was talking about. But I, I really enjoyed listening to the audiobook, but definitely would find value in being able to go back and reread pages and highlight and really process some of the deep 
explanations and definitions that she was providing with some of the emotions that she described. That is a great point. And in the background, people might hear me flipping through the pages because I'm visual. I love to listen to podcasts and things like that. But with a book like this, and I didn't know what the book was about. I knew that Brene had come out with a new book and I was like, gotta see it. And then it was beautiful. It's very rich in visual texture. So when you said, you know, was it a painting? And I was like, I immediately knew that that example, I can't remember the exact feeling, but it has to do with pain and loss mm -hmm. because I'm visual. I remember the story behind it. So it's an image of these, it, and it's actually mothers at the moment that they found out that, that their child died. And it was a sculpture that was made to remember the loss of people in a flight that had been hijacked in Scotland, I think it is. But it was a descriptor of mm -hmm. of the pain. So she uses all of these. She uses storytelling so well. The yeah. thing that I missed in reading is that she has such a distinctive voice. And sometimes, because I've heard her on podcasts and things like this, I've heard her so much that I can hear her mm -hmm. saying the words in my head because she writes how she speaks. She says pissed off, mm -hmm. like she uses language. And then she uses these little vignettes, these small stories to convey. But her voice is so fantastic. It is. And I loved listening to her read her book because not all authors do that. And what I really appreciated about certain things in the audiobook is when she wanted to really emphasize the importance of a concept to make sure you really got the point of what she was trying to make or the importance of it, she would repeat it two to three times, which was really helpful instead of having to rewind it or just continuing on with the book. So I really appreciated that. She kind of does that visually. You'll read something and I would, I would do that. I'd read something and I'd be like, oh my gosh. And I'd have my pen and I'd underline it. And then on the very next page, it would be a full page in a bold color with a large font on it. And it would be just that sentence or that phrase so that it really solidified that this was actually a really significant, it was like she was doing my underlining for me. <laughs> I love it. Did you have a particular part that you really loved in the book? I don't remember exactly where it was, but in looking at some of her resources that she has on her website about this book, she has some graphics that you can print. And there was one specific graphic that I remember her saying in her book, and I loved it. And it was about comparison. So one of my favorite quotes that she has in her book is, comparison is the crush of conformity from one side and competition from the other. It's trying to simultaneously fit in and stand out. Yes. And it's so deep. I love that about comparison and conformity and trying to simultaneously fit in and stand out. There's a lot to unpack with that. <laughs> there is. Why did that hit you so much? What was it about that that just went, wow? I think it stood out to me because in many of my presentations, I talk about not comparing yourself to other people and and not focusing on your weaknesses and highlighting your strengths. because when we compare ourselves to other people, 
it generally is going to make you feel inadequate in some way. And rather than comparing yourself to other people and what they are doing or not doing, focus on what you are doing and what you are capable of doing and what you want to do and what you don't want to do and highlight your strengths and embrace your own uniqueness um, rather than comparing yourself to other people. Because when you do that, when you compare yourself to other people, it's really going to hold you back. You can look to other people for inspiration, but when you're comparing yourself to someone else, I just feel like it makes you fall short every single time, unless you're using it to make yourself feel better in some way, which then begs the question, why? Yeah. So I had to immediately, because I'm the hardcover person, I flipped to the, I was like, okay, where was she talking about comparison? When you read that, and it is bolded in the book, I immediately had that, that little shiver of recognition of, mm -hmm. there were so many times when I just went, <sighs> a deep breath of recognition and a little bit of the pain that accompanies it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I would sometimes have it where I, I swear, like right now I can feel my shoulders going up and everything. But I had other times when it was like, it was more like the exhale and the, the dropping of the shoulders of, oh, I get it. Mm -hmm. But sometimes there was that, oh my God, <laughs> I do that. Or, and she talks about how comparison isn't actually an emotion. And then she has the definition of comparison that you just gave that it's the crush of conformity from one side and competition from the other. She sums it all up with comparison says, be like everyone else, mm -hmm. but better. Right. And so I'm not all down and negative about social media because I think it's also got the upside of creating community. Here's an example. I've been open about this. It was 13 months ago right now that were 14, almost 14 months that my middle child was diagnosed with cancer. She had to have emergency surgery and she woke up from surgery and she was so out of it that she hadn't truly realized that she was now going to be living with a stoma bag, which is a really hard thing when you're 20. Yeah. We started going on social media and there's like TikTokers. Mm -hmm. She's not the only young person she's the only young person that she knows. Actually, she's the only person that we know that has a stoma bag. But social media can create that community where you see people who are like, oh yeah, this is an okay thing. And so that goes into, she talks about the feelings of admiration. Mm -hmm. And she also talks about reverence. So we feel admiration when someone's abilities, accomplishments, or character inspire us and how that's different from comparison, which comparison itself isn't actually an emotion, but then you can see something and have admiration or reverence. And then she also talks about envy and jealousy. Mm -hmm. The thing I loved about this book was that it just took it to a whole nother level of understanding to have what's an incredibly easy read mm -hmm. on something so complex as how we're responding to things or where we look for community or it's fundamentally a book about making meaningful connections mm -hmm. and how that all starts within. Yes. And I, I do want to just take a moment and acknowledge what you said about your daughter and um, I'm glad that she has found inspiration on social media to see others who 
are going through similar things and experiences and emotions that she is and and being able to see all things considered it in a positive light and in using comparison in a good way as inspiration um, of that she is not alone like you said because I think when when we don't talk about our emotions and our experiences we feel so isolated and and feeling like we're the only one like you said when reading the book you kind of felt some moments when you kind of tense up and your shoulders are up and then others where you just kind of relax and you're like, oh, I'm not the only one. This makes sense. Yeah. I will say, continuing on about my daughter, some of the stuff that was so great was to see how it can also be normalized. How to wear a bikini with a stoma bag. And it's a girl who just puts on a bikini and another one. And my daughter says, if you don't like it, it's, it's called an issue, not an ish me. Right. And she felt more empowered and normalized. Mm-hmm. That's how we talked about it. There are so many things that I can see myself where I'm still on that journey, mm-hmm. that journey of development. What did you think? Did you have those sort of big aha moments or? I had a lot of aha moments. And there was another explanation that Brene Brown made that I love, and I think it's very fitting following the conversation we just had about comparison. Her book just highlights the importance of using accurate language. And I think it's just great how she explained the difference between fitting in and belonging. She said belonging is somewhere where you want to be and they want you. Whereas fitting in is somewhere you want to be, but they don't care one way or the other. And I will repeat that like Brene did in her book, because it's just so, I don't even know how to describe it. It is just so simple and complex at the same time. The difference between fitting in and belonging. Belonging is somewhere where you want to be and they want you. And fitting in is somewhere you want to be, but they don't care one way or the other. So when you are belonging or fitting in, it's somewhere you want to be but there's a difference on how that particular group feels about you being there or not being there. And I just loved it. I'm actually having shivers right now because I'm, I'm looking through the book for the graphic and it's called the differences between fitting in and belonging. And for anybody who has the book, it's on pages 162 and 163. It's her definitions. Like she's created this from a discussion with middle school kids. It's actually the middle school kids. That's right. So the reason that I remember that is because it has this amazing image. It's all these different kids holding up the post-its that they had written when they were asked to go away and talk about what fitting in meant to them, what belonging meant to them. And there was some heartbreaking, oh, Not belonging at school is really hard, but it's nothing compared to what it feels like when you don't belong at home. Mm. Oh, like, (laughs) I actually get, I got, and even now rereading this, you know, and they talk about not being as cool or popular as your parents want you to be, not living, like, it's the child parent, it's the community within school. It's so much of what we carry forward when we go into the workplace. Mm-hmm. And that's why and that's why I was like, where would we put this book in a bookstore? 
can we just have a central spot and we just say everybody must read? I guess that's what staff picks are. <laughs> right. Well, I keep going to parenting section because it's great for parents to have that self-awareness, not only for themselves, but for their children and teaching their children about their emotions and, and how to express them and apply them in their various experiences. Exactly. Brene has come out many times and talked about the family that she grew up in, the culture that she grew up in, and how important it was to be able to build these meaningful connections. We have to have the words, and that's what this book is. And if we don't have the words, how do we teach our children and how do we break the cycles of generational trauma? Mm -hmm that has become manifest in our own family culture because that's just the way things are done or we don't talk about these things. Social media is opening things up so that you can, you, you see that you're not alone. Mm -hmm. But if that can happen before the wounds, if that conversation can happen, I myself, I was like, oh, I want her to come out with a book that's a version of this, a workbook for the office place, and I want another one that's a workbook for how to use this book in the family. That would be great. That's just, but that's how my brain works. <laughs> like well, right. like, Give it, me something more. We have all this knowledge now about emotions and building our vocabulary with what emotions are and the difference between some of them that can be very similar. And then how do you apply that? How do you use that to your advantage now that you know it? Um, and Brene Brown is obviously known for vulnerability. And I think that's where in applying the knowledge that everyone gains when they read this book is giving yourself permission to be vulnerable to feel your emotions and uh, communicate them. And that way you can work through them. And what you just said there with, you know, and being able to communicate them and able to work through them, that is pretty much what emotional literacy is. And that's what this book is. It's giving you the language. A lot of research has demonstrated that we can't work through things that we can't articulate. Mm -hmm. And so creating language and terminology to create emotional literacy means that we can. We can have conversations with people about how we're feeling. I think at the very beginning of the book, oh, I'm thinking back now, I, I, she talks about how would you go to a doctor and, and explain to them. And I think it was like shoulder pain, but imagine that your hands are tied behind your back and you've got like duct tape on your mouth. Now be in the office with the doctor and try to explain to them that you have shoulder pain. And that's what emotional literacy is, having the words to actually be able to tell someone about your pain, but also I think to be able to share joy. Mm -hmm or all the good things that happen. I don't know. What did you think? Yeah, it's, it's being able to not only communicate how we're feeling, but understand how we are feeling and why. The root cause of feeling stress, or what is the underlying reason that you're feeling upset or angry or happy or sad, and being able to communicate those and understand them. I liked how she organized her book. So I, I have a printout from her website, and I imagine it's probably structured by chapters in your book, how it is, she goes through these 87 different human emotions and experiences. Let's see, there's five, 13 boxes on this printout and it's places 
we go when things are uncertain or too much. Mm-hmm. And then she has emotions, stress, overwhelm, anxiety, worry, avoidance, excitement, dread, fear, and vulnerability. And then places we go when we compare, which you were talking about, admiration, reverence, envy, jealousy. Places we go when things that go as planned. Places we go when it's beyond us or when things aren't as they seem. Places we go when we're hurting, when we're with others, when we fall short, when we search for connection, which I think is great. Places we go when we search for connection, the belonging, the fitting in that we discussed, connection, disconnection. When the heart is open, when life is good, when we feel wronged, the anger, contempt, contempt, disgust, dehumanization, places we go to self-assess. So I imagine are those the chapters in her book, how she categorized that? It is. That's exactly how she did. So for anybody who looks at the book and is like, that's a big book. When am I going to have time? She's really broken it down. So there's a lot of visual in it. The quality of the print is exceptional. She has, if you are somebody, and I know there's people out there who are like, I am not putting, like they think it's sacrilege to put a pen on the paper. So she's already done that where she has these bold pages. So it's actually not that long of a book. And it's so well structured that if you wanted to just be like, okay, if you start your day with a meditation or with some quiet time or anything like this to sort of set the tone or whether you do something at night, you could take a chapter and a chapter is really just a few pages. One of that was very impactful for me and I just happened to open to is places we go when we fall short, shame, self-compassion, perfectionism. Of course, it's a perfectionism. So this is the one that I was like, okay, I got to read this like seven times. Mm-hmm. Guilt, humiliation, embarrassment. What's great is that the image is next to it is a dog looking up at the owner and a chair that has been destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So so there's a bit of this this humor as well. And then she talks about her own. She talks about how she used to hold either certain beliefs or earlier in her research, she took a certain perspective, but now with a deeper understanding, she takes us on her own journey of understanding mm-hmm. in each chapter. But the different um, boxes that you just read, mm-hmm. those are the 13 chapters. Okay. And I, I thought so. I would love, since you said you related so much to perfectionism, which I certainly can relate to, mm-hmm. is I imagine you have many tabs and maybe some comments that you wrote in your book, um, because that chapter, like you said, is places we go when we fall short. And I think it's so important that we have self-compassion for ourselves when we fall short of being perfect, which no one is, and and trying again and showing up better next time or trying again. Uh, So I'd love to, to dive into that, if that sounds good to you. Yes. And she references back in that chapter to her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, which was actually the first book by Brene Brown that I ever read was The Gifts of Imperfection. I just downloaded that on my audio app yesterday. I didn't realize that was her first book. I was like, is this somewhat new and I just haven't heard of it? So that's interesting. I will be reading that. Yeah, well, it's the first one that I read. I'm not sure if it's the first one she published, but possibly. And she actually did um, a series of for the anniversary of its publication. I can't remember if it was 10 or 15 years or something that she um, did a series of podcasts with 
her sister talking through the different parts of it and revisiting it. It was it was spectacular. I really recommend. I mean, people podcasts are generally free. Mm -hmm. That's a great opportunity. If you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to buy this book or if somebody doesn't know who Brene Brown is, because there are a lot of people who haven't been introduced to her yet, then that's a great way to get to know who she is and what she's about. Mm -hmm. But have you watched the Netflix series yet on Atlas of the Heart? I haven't watched it yet. I've heard it's on HBO Max. So is yes, I haven't watched it yet. So does that mean it will be on, on my list? Is eight okay? I, I here's me not knowing how. Or if it's on HBO, it won't be on Netflix. Did I say Netflix? Yeah. Did I, if I said Netflix, maybe yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> it's on one of the streaming platforms. I probably made that up. It's on one of. It is probably HBO. I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> I just heard HBO Max, and the only reason it's stuck in my head is I do like shaky fists to the sky. The one streaming platform I don't have, and I'm almost wanting to get it just so that I can just watch this. She has tried so hard in this book to really address different learning styles. She doesn't say that, but it's so obvious in the way that the book mm -hmm. is presented that it's if you have the paper copy, and it sounds like she's tried to do the same in her audiobook too. She's Yes, she did. She's trying to, you feel like she's trying to be as inclusive to different styles of information intake. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's not something that's available to every author because the quality of this book is phenomenal. The depth and richness of the colors and the quality, that's not something that every publisher is going to let you do unless they know they're going to hit a certain sales number. So that's just the, mm -hmm. the logistics of, you know, not every author is going to have this sort of opportunity, but I appreciated how accessible she made it. But getting back to our talk about perfectionism. So here, I'm just going to read this. This is an example of a pull-out quote that she's done on a single page. And this is actually one of the longest ones, but this hit so hard. Perfectionism is a self-destructive and addictive belief system that fuels this primary thought. If I look perfect, live perfectly, work perfectly, and do everything perfectly, I can avoid or minimize the painful feelings of shame, judgment, and blame. Powerful. I don't want to admit, but yeah. And I've talked openly in another podcast about how I thought the problem wasn't that I was trying to do everything perfectly. It's that I was failing because I wasn't perfect enough to be achieving the levels of my perfectionism that I thought I should be. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that we can put so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect, to avoid the judgment and criticism from others who are also generally trying to show up being perfect. And it's the pressure we put on ourselves and the pressure that we put on others where we all have control of it. And if we can show other people through being vulnerable, like Brene Brown teaches, that it's okay to be imperfect and and supporting each other when they're not perfect because no one is and and just creating that safe space to show up as ourselves so that other people can show up as themselves. Mm -hmm. And you said it so beautifully and and now I'm like and, and here's how I she also says it may seem counterintuitive but one of the biggest barriers to working towards mastery is perfectionism. So you've got it from the vulnerability and connection side. And then you've also got like, if you're really dedicated to being mm -hmm. 
I'm a little embarrassed to admit this. I was like, oh, could I give up perfectionism so that I could master? <laughs> I mean, it's like I'm a diehard and I can't. Okay, I, all, all joking aside, that like, I really did feel that way. But at the same time, recognizing how destructive it is for my relationships, for my mental health, for my relationship with myself. Mm -hmm. because I can never be perfect. And so it's just a way of beating myself every day. If I'd only done this better. Right. And you made the comment about mastery. And so mm -hmm. if you were to achieve that, what does that look like? And who, who defines that? And this illusion, I think sometimes of once I achieve this or accomplish this, maybe it's the extra credentials, all of the things, then you could be seen as a master and expert in something but that's not necessary. It's a self-imposed limitation, I think, that we've put on ourselves that all of these external things have to happen to feel a certain way. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. She talks about to achieve mastery means to continually be curious. Mm -hmm. And so from that perspective, if we think of mastery as something that is more fluid, yes. Whereas perfectionism is this idea of achieving some ideal, but who actually said that's the ideal? Right. I think it's more of some kind of cultural construct that's also con connected back in with um, comparison. Mm -hmm. And I like how you said that she mentioned mastery being, or your take on it being more fluid and it's a journey, it's always evolving. Whereas perfectionism seems to have a specific destination point of, of something you have achieved or that you're striving to achieve rather than it being an evolving journey where there's no destination point and fluid. I like that. Yeah. Cause she talks about healthy striving mm -hmm. and healthy striving. And I think this is some, a part of the book that I'm just going to keep coming back to. How do I create a test for, is this healthy striving me wanting to do the best that I know that I'm capable of? Or is this about somebody else and perfectionism? That's one of the gifts of having emotional literacy. I didn't just read this and now I have emotional literacy. I know that I'm going to mm -hmm. have the ability to question why I'm doing things. And to me, this is a book that will never be far from my side because I know I'll be referencing it for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And I like how you said, you know, creating that test for yourself. And it made me think of our conversation around comparison and it can be detrimental to us or it can ask, it can be good and use, use comparison in a good way for inspiration. And so I think a good test for your listeners would be, say they're coming across a, a person that they follow on social media and when they start to go into any comparison thoughts is, you know, how is this making me feel? Like, do I feel bad about myself or does this give me hope of what's possible and what I can achieve for myself and in, in where I'm at and where I want to be? Kind of a personal test of how am I feeling? And then using the, the language that Brene has shared with us on our emotions. How am I feeling right now in this moment or this situation? Is it a good feeling or is it a negative feeling? And then labeling those feelings with more depth with the, the emotions that she gives us in her book. Yes, exactly. It's the stop and the pause. And then she's given us the words. But in giving us the words, it's not just the, 
okay, I'm actually moving into envy. She gives us more in the book, which is, okay, so where's this coming from? Mm -hmm. Why am I? Where's the gap? What's the hole I'm trying to fill? What am I responding to? And so you start with being able to recognize, I mean, it's, it's like there's so many layers. The starting point is the awareness. And then to be able to sort of acknowledge and then to try and get to the root of why it is that you're feeling that way without judgment. Mm -hmm. That is key, without judgment. Yeah, that's why I love that she uses the term emotional literacy. There's no good or bad. It's just a gift that she's presented us with. And I think that's key because with emotions, people can feel bad or guilty that they are experiencing certain emotions when that's just normal and you're not meant to be in one emotional state all day, every day. And there's so many things happening in our lives and having a variety of emotions is healthy. It's just not staying in one specific state that isn't pleasant for too long, but having a variety of emotions is healthy. And that's why the podcast is called Happy-ish Ever After. I'm not a fan of the search for the constant, what we've talked about as positive emotions, and then trying to not feel the negative emotions. Mm -hmm. Negative emotions serve a purpose, just like pain serves a purpose. Nobody wants to have pain, mm -hmm. but if you didn't have pain and you'd broken something, that would be really bad. Right. We need them. They're telling us something. And so what are they telling us? What are they telling us about maybe wounds? That we still have or work that we still have or how we're showing up mm -hmm. in the world and the way that we're showing up how can that support or alienate or bolster or injure the people around us mm -hmm. yeah and the self-awareness piece i think might be the hardest component of mm. you know you can label emotions understand them and, and dig deeper, but that first part, the self-awareness might be the most difficult part of all of this is choosing to be self-aware of your emotions before you can understand them. Yeah. I felt the way that she wrote it. I had so many moments where the way that she described it made me go, I see that I do that. Mm -hmm. And for me, the challenge is to say, I see that I haven't been my best self in previous interactions, that I have a tendency to do that. Okay. And also, not everybody wants to tell you how it's impacting them, but the way that she describes it, you better understand how you're walking through life impacts the people around you. Mm -hmm. And whether that's family, work, other relationships. Yeah. So you said that you're ordering the book. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend people don't wait for it to come out in paperback. Like it's so beautiful. It's worth every penny to invest in getting the hard copy while it's still available. It's an amazing book. I give it a five out of five. I, I think this is a must, a must read. I can't think of anybody who wouldn't benefit from it. I don't feel like it's written for a specific demographic or a specific type of person. It's a clear five for me. I can't even imagine as I was reading it, knowing that we were going to have this discussion. I thought, is there anything I would change? Is there anything that I would? And I was like, no. Well, other than have Brene drive to my house and <laughs> actually like have a conversation with me while I'm reading it, that would be about the only thing that could make it better. Right. How about for you? How would you rate it? How, what would you recommend to people? 
I agree. It's definitely a five out of five. And like you said, it's, it's hard to say it's for this one particular demographic because every human experiences emotion. And so the book really is for everyone because it is explaining all of your emotions and it's helping you understand your emotions. So it's yes. for everybody and you can apply it in a variety of different ways, personally and professionally. Yeah. Is there anything that you felt like, oh, I wish it was this, anything that you would want differently? I think just going back to your original comment about hoping that she would have a workbook, I think there could have been, not could have been, I mean, she could have done a lot of different things with this, but maybe an interactive activity, mm. a practical application of, of each section. Of course, that could be an entire book. So I understand why it wouldn't be in there. But I, I loved how, how she put it together and seeing your copy. I love that she did a lot of graphics and that there's color in the book, which I certainly appreciate being a visual learner. So I can't wait to get my copy. Oh, thank you so much. I know it's, it's when we're doing something different, it's like, where is this going to go? How's it going to go? I'm so glad that you were able to come on and to take the time to jump in with the book and hop on the podcast and have this discussion with me. Yes, I appreciate you asking me. This was the first time I've had a podcast interview about a book review. And like I told you, I, I wasn't sure how this would go since I knew I listened to the audio version. But I think it worked well. And I appreciate being invited. Thank you so much. And I will put your contact information in the show notes. What's the best way for people to connect with you? My website is being updated at the moment. So the best way would be to email me which is the self love challenge at gmail.com. I have a presentation that I'm currently giving to the professional community about the power of pausing. And it starts with prioritizing yourself and it's an interactive keynote and workshop. Wonderful. So I will put your email and your Instagram handle into the show notes. Thank you. Thank you, Brandy. 